and welcome to So You Want to Be an Engineer. I am Katie Douglas, Director of Engineering at St Paul's School, and on behalf of the Engineering Society, I'm delighted to welcome Omar Sharif to the show. Omar is a structural engineer, and he deals with kind of really big, exciting structural things. So thank you so much for agreeing to come and talk to us today, Omar. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. And our interview today is Sebastian. Sebastian is currently in year 11, but he's about to embark on his A-levels where he's doing an engineering EPQ. I know that Sebastian has prepared lots of exciting questions for Omar, so I'm going to hand over to him. Over to you, Sebastian. So Omar, what part of your job, which you initially thought you would least enjoy, do you actually have come to like? The part of my job, which I didn't initially think I would enjoy is the, the, the management of the project. Coming out of school, um, numbers and mathematics were, were my strong point. So that's why engineering was so appealing to me. It was it was a, a platform for me to use mathematics for a, a beneficial purpose and just to have something to show the fruits of my labour. But the part that they don't tell you in engineering school is that as an engineer, you're responsible for the entire delivery of the job, which means you have to manage other people, manage circumstances on and off site, you know, deal sometimes with the financial restrictions of a project and all of that stuff as well. And personally, I've never at that time had any interest in managing finances of a project, uh, overlooking people on site, etc. But in due course, that part of the job actually is what differentiates between an engineer and a good engineer, and a good engineer and an engineering manager. So now companies are starting to use engineers as more than people to crunch numbers and to come up with fancy designs. They are the people who are responsible for implementing and installing their designs on site and managing them. So it's it's a part of a job which is it, you, you probably won't really see or hear much of it. I hope maybe you will in university, but it's something that you can't understate enough is that you are you are responsible for more than just the numbers when you when you're an engineer. And so you now do enjoy that part of the job? Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it, to be honest with you. Um, it's it's great to, you, you deal with such a wide variety of, of personalities. You could be dealing one minute with uh, a steel erector on a congested building site in London, for example, or you could be dealing with the director of your client's company. For example, we're doing jobs with Amazon at the moment. So Amazon will send their representatives down We'll talk with them one day. The next day, we'll be talking to the guys pouring the concrete on site. So you deal with that wide variety of personalities and people um, in different capacities. Um, the responsibility never dies down. You're always the guy who they're going to fire the questions to. They're going to ask you a lot of questions. And, you know, the responsibility is big, but it's, it's a responsibility that should excite you as an engineer and not uh, intimidate you. Yeah. So moving on, what has been your most stressful job so far? Reading through your bio, it looked like the Unilever HQ was quite stressful. The, yeah, the, the Unilever headquarters were, were stressful. We had a lot of um, time restrictions on that project. Um, time, time is money in engineering. That's, that's the famous phrase. Um, the longer something takes, the more it's going to cost. The more it's going to cost, the less you're going to be. Uh, wanted by the client in the long term. So the, the pressure is there to perform well financially and uh, on time, on program, do the job safely is the main thing as well. The Unilever headquarters was definitely probably up there with one of the more stressful projects. But for me, there was a shopping centre in a place called Bradford uh, in north of England. 
um, and that that was by far and away one of the more stressful jobs um, due to various reasons political and financial we won't go into the job was partially fabricated uh, and then it stopped and then once the client decided okay now we can progress we fabricated the rest of the building now in between that gap where everything was stopped the UK went from designing buildings from British standards to the Eurocode standards so now you've got the same building designed by two different standards and the client had changed hands in the meantime it was a very political you know mess going on but we as a steel fabricators at the time had to kind of burden that that political mess shall we say forward on from that as well as the building was, was a large footprint building but it was split into various what's called zones or phases it's a very common word you'll hear in uh, engineering each phase had to be structurally independent of one another so we had to implement these movement joints to so this area of the building could move while not affecting this one and vice versa and all over the place so that that was an interesting job uh, it was a retail project so as well as the client who owns the the shopping center you have the clients who are leasing the units in between your your high street names once those units start to get rented out and people start putting pen to paper they start banging the door on you and say well hang on Marks and Spencer's for example they want to be in their unit by November get it get it finished get it done and so it's that kind of castellation of, of pressure comes down and on top of that geometrically and structurally it was a very difficult job it wasn't something that you would do every day to, to fix all that together so that it, it was an interesting job and I worked on that for just shy of 18 months um, and it was it was definitely a, a turning point where <laughs> uh, I kind of looked back at myself from the start of that job to the end of the job. I always try and review myself as an engineer. What have I learned from this job? Am I a better engineer because of this? Always try and every project you get as an engineer, whether it's mechanical, electrical, structural, civil engineering, whatever. At the end of it, just look around at yourself and say, what have I learned from this? Am I a better engineer from this? Because it's an ever evolving industry. So if you're doing the same thing every day, the, the chances are you, you're not really an engineer. You're just kind of someone who's typing numbers into a computer, in essence. So you, you always want to challenge yourself and evolve as an engineer. And Bradford Broadway was definitely a challenging project for that year. Wow, that sounds like a really valuable experience and hopefully good advice for me for the future as well. I One follow-up question on that. Why did all of the different parts of the building have to be structurally independent of one another that is to that is a, a structural requirement so in essence because parts of the building were fabricated before other parts of the building the the tolerances were different from one part of the building to another so that's one reason is to, the part of the building which was fabricated um, had to remain as it was and, un, and not be adjusted in any way to suit the Eurocode standards because the client wasn't willing to pay that money. The new part of the building which was being fabricated and put up obviously would have certain tolerances built into it that we, we didn't want to transfer those across to the other part of the structure. And the second requirement is, like I say, a structural requirement. Buildings with large footprints in them, so your long warehouses, your big shopping centres, stadium, the big stadium stands that you see, they all have movement joints in them to to uh, the building wants to move and sway but over a long footprint or a large footprint it's amplified so to minimize that amplification what they do is they put movement joints in which breaks the 
the uh, knock-on effect of any movement transferring from one part of the structure to another. In small buildings, it's not really an issue, but with large footprint buildings or long footprinted buildings, your warehouses, uh, B&Qs, etc., the very common place and the structurally really they are required. So how is your time actually then divided up between on-site work and designing? At the moment, I would say I'm 80% in the office uh, and 20% on-site. Um, obviously, the current circumstances of uh, COVID-19 has made I'm 100% uh, on my dining table. But um, yeah, 80% in the office, 20% on-site is generally the, the rule of thumb. My, my current role, I'm in what's called a design and build capacity. So that means that I'm um, responsible for designing it and also overseeing the construction on site and considering their circumstances on site in my design. So there's a bit more of an on-site requirement for that because you have to oversee the, them uh, on site. But as I say, at the minute, due to the current circumstances, it's um, whilst the site is still ongoing, we as engineers are, are not um, are not on site at the minute. But in general, it's 80% in the office and 20% on site. And so when you're in the office and designing I assume you design using some sort of CAD software. What is the CAD software which you use and do you enjoy using it? Um, well, AutoCAD is the software that um, that we use uh, generally. Uh, it's a very user-friendly software. Uh, once you get into it, it's, um, it's, it's very versatile uh, and it saves you an awful lot of time. As I mentioned before, time is money. I come from a background where I was mentored by people who weren't using CAD during this part of their career. So they lent heavily on uh, manual sketches. So pencil, always nice to have one, and a piece of paper, always. And the general rule of thumb, and I, I say this to everyone, is don't use a computer unless you can do what you're asking the computer to do. A computer doesn't have common sense. No matter how fancy it is, it doesn't have common sense. So I was taught with a pencil and paper, and that's how I... If we ever have summer placement students in, etc., I'll always teach them to use a pencil and paper because it, it, it's it's something that you, you are going to need moving forward professionally if you choose to become a chartered engineer, which I'd always recommend. There's no computer in the exam. You have to sit in the exam and you have to draw out full general arrangement of buildings and all that sort of stuff. You have to do that all by hand. There's no computer in there, so it's good to keep that skill and it, it's not a common skill, so it, it can separate you from others who don't don't use that. I do enjoy using AutoCAD. I really do enjoy using AutoCAD, but um, the most benefit I get is from using a pencil and paper because as you're drawing it out, you develop an understanding of how it's working, the mechanics of the structure, how are you going to put it together, how are you going to fabricate it. And you almost draw it in that order. You draw it in the order that it's going to be fabricated. And you, whilst you're doing it, you can see any constraints in terms of can they reach back there can they can they get a, a weld back there can someone fit their hand in there to put a bolt in there etc when you're doing something on autocad you kind of become a bit autonomous and these things are overlooked as such so it's always good practice i think to just do keep keep the skill of doing things by hand definitely but in a professional capacity autocad is is, is definitely a tool valuable tool for saving money and uh, economizing time so were you always relatively good at drawing or did you 
learn to draw in a very precise way as you became an engineer exactly so i i couldn't you know i i i've never been an artistic person i was never good at art in school or anything like that so it was when i landed myself in uh, an engineer's office and they gave me a pencil and a ruler uh, they taught me how to draw to scale um, the funny story that i always tell as well is there's a way to to write uh, engineering calcs we tend to write all in capital letters and you'll notice that the, the font is the, the writing always has to be very clear and legible that's like a, a requisite um, the guy who taught me when he taught me he was 83 82 sorry uh, when, that was when he taught me and that was about 12 12 years ago now 13 years ago and uh, he he hated computers as you can imagine he didn't trust them nothing and he gave us what's called the drawing board which is basically an a3 size board which is rotated at 30 degrees and he landed a piece of paper on it and he says none of you are allowed to, to touch the computer until you draw six lines on that a3 sheet of paper perfectly horizontally 90 degrees and then the first three lines you have to write the alphabet in uppercase all the letters have to be the same height the same width and the same space between the letters and the bottom three lines you write the alphabet again this time in lowercase same height same width same space and he would go around and he would meticulously measure everyone's letters. I'm not kidding you. Every single letter. He would measure all the spaces. He would measure the angle of the lines. And if it was wrong, he'd rip up your piece of paper, give you a new one, start again. So I got away quite easy. It took me four days to write the alphabet six times. That's that's the story I tell. It took me four days. And then, but there was guys in there who don't, who took maybe a week, maybe 10 days. He didn't care. He was like, until you do it, you ain't touching that computer on. Uh, and he was very legible and i know this is audio only but to this day wow and how many pieces of paper did you go through before you got it all right uh, in four days i think i went through about i want to say i did th at least three attempts a day so let's say 12 15 pieces of paper it was it was, I, I lost count i lost frustration put it that way <laughs> I'm just going to interject here for those people who are listening at home, just to point out that Omar lists up a piece of paper covered in what has to be the neatest handwriting I have ever seen. And I'm a teacher and I have seen a lot of handwriting. So maybe this is an exercise we need to get the kids at school doing more. Yeah, there you are, kids. Pick up a piece of paper, six lines, three times uppercase, three times lowercase. See how you go. So what has been your most fulfilling project so far? The, the two projects really I get the most pride from are um, 22 Bishopsgate, which is the tallest building in the square mile of London. And across the river, I worked on the Shard. Um, I started on the Shard when I was 17 as an apprentice, and I was on it for the for the whole lifespan. And the the best part about structural engineering is you you have the fruits of your labour there there to see for for a very very long time, and it's. It's so nice to go to London. I do often go to London for work. Um, it's so nice when you, you see tourists admiring your work and looking up. And it's nice to be able to take my wife there and potentially kids and grandkids one day and be able to point them up and say, look, this is what this is what your dad did, this is what your granddad did. It's uh, it's it's a real point of pride. And I'm a, I'm a big football fan as well. So when we did the Anfield Stadium expansion, yeah, every time Match of the Day comes on, he, I, I'm not a Liverpool fan by any stretch of the imagination, but every time Anfield comes on, I'll point my wife. My wife doesn't just just says yes, I know you, you did that. But to me, it's 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 a point of pride, and there's very few jobs in the world where you you have the fruit of your labour uh, on show for, for the world to see for such a long time, and you know to see 
the buildings that you work on being kind of used in the backdrop of movies or in television shows and things of that nature it's just so nice to, to be able to to say you know you did that you worked on that and no one can ever take that away from you for, for as long as you live no matter what you do it's something that will stay with you and resonate with you forever so definitely those, those iconic jobs in the city of london uh, probably the, my, my proudest moments definitely that sure sounds like a really cool feeling to have just looking up at something that you made so what recommendations would you have for a pupil interested in becoming an engineer to get those sorts of experiences and then be that 80 something year old engineer forcing the others to, to <laughs> use the same techniques as he did? Well, for me, as a, you're, you're transitioning from uh, year 11 into your A levels or, uh, and moving into further education. The key thing is is to research your options. As you know, a lot of people might be put off by doing A levels and uh, bachelor's degrees and masters because it's more time spent in a classroom, and that might not appeal to a lot of people. There are apprenticeships out there. There are um, sandwich placements out there. So in essence, whilst you're doing your bachelor's or in between your A levels and your bachelor's you can sit uh, in an engineering office and that helps to build your reputation with them. You know, often companies will seek students willing to do time in between their studies. More often than not, those students end up back at that company as a paid full-time employee. Also, another thing that I would say is moving forward when you're going into the A-levels and the further education side of things, you're going to be put in front of a computer a lot and you're going to be asked to you know work with softwares that you've never worked before you're going to be asked to do really complex things which i reiterate it shouldn't intimidate you they're all there to help you but just always keep in the back of your mind do you know what you're asking this computer to do and if it does something wrong will you be able to see it because like i said the industry is evolving very rapidly so it's important now that engineers do have a strong hold and grasp of modern technology and how it can help us but also we can't trust the computers to do an engineer's job we have to be able to look at what a computer is spitting out in front of us and say that's not quite right that doesn't look right or can you make it more economical can you make it from lighter steel less concrete these types of things so those two bits of advice between researching your options as a career path, of which there are many in, in engineering, most engineering firms are constantly recruiting that next generation that, to plug that skills gap. So there's always that route outside of your A-levels and all that sort of stuff, which is a great route to go down, but in between doing your A-levels and doing your studies, you can do sandwich placements in companies, gap years etc and they're more than willing to take you on board and also the technology side of things technology is evolving you probably know more about computers than me and you're half my age but you know you have to be able to know what the computer is spitting out in front of you and be able to identify and that is what separates an engineer from a, a person a, 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 you know a, a computer boffin uh, anyone can sit and type on their keyboard all day and plug numbers into a software but do you actually know what you're asking the software to do? Can you actually pick fault with it and break down and try and economize? 
Thank you very much. That was a very cool, very cool answer. Thank you very much for the interview, Omar. It was very insightful. You're very welcome, Sebastian. It was lovely to speak to you. So structural engineering, it sounds like a fascinating field where you're managing lots of really complex puzzle pieces. And it's also a field where you get to leave behind a building that could potentially become part of history. So that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much, Omar. It was really interesting talking to you. Likewise, it was nice to talk to you guys as well. Thanks for having me. So You Want to Be an Engineer is produced by Katie Douglas and edited by Arthur Jenkins. It is a production of the St Paul's School Engineering Society. If you would like to be on the show or would like to know more about Engineering Society, then you can email us on engineering at stpaulsschool.org.uk.